Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome back to the 127th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn, coming to you live from my man cave in Millsboro, Delaware. This week, we have John Kosas Jr., Broadcasting and Media Relations Manager for the Columbia Fireflies. He is also the author of a book titled Play-by-Play from the Miners, Profiles of Baseball Broadcasters from Scranton to Yakima. If you like this episode, make sure to go back and listen to the older ones. There's something back there for everyone. So many fantastic people that work in minor league baseball with amazing stories. So go check those out. Um, Would love to get some more ratings and comments on either Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to there. Um, Also, make sure to go follow the designated Twitter account for the show at Pooling Tarp Pod. That's where you can find all up-to-date news about the Pooling Tarp Podcast. And that's where you can reach out about becoming a guest as well. Just slide in the DMs there. And then um, if you really want to, you can also follow me on Twitter personally at It's R.A. Coon. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. I really do apologize uh, for the lack of episodes lately. Um, my wife and I had our first child. Uh, she is five weeks old now, so uh, trying to uh, navigate that and uh, going back to work. And we may be in the process of buying a house too, so life's just been so busy. But I am super excited to get into it with John Kosis Jr. Let's, let's get started. John, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Super excited to have you. How's the preparation going for the season so far, man? Hey, Bobby, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here, and it's going kind of like every other season goes, right? You know, you start off and it's October, and things are six months away. You don't have to worry about it. And then somewhere around February, it kicks in. Hey, something's right around the corner, but we're now at that stage where you you realize why you start working for this in October. So everything's starting to come together. I'm really excited. And we're 23 days away as of the date we're recording this. By the time we come out, probably uh, be closer to 20 days away, right? Wow, wow. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. You know, I know your time is as good as gold right now, um, especially with the season right around the corner. Um, I kind of miss, miss the you know, that feeling coming up, but I also don't miss the anxiety on that. Now my anxiety is just replaced with other types of anxiety. Um, but, but yeah, man, that's super exciting. Uh, what can, uh, the fans expect at Firefly's home games this season? Anything new going on? 
Yeah, there are a couple of things I'm super excited about. One is we've got new specials for our Thirsty Thursday. So it's one, two, three drink specials. It'll be $1 fountain sodas, $2 domestic beers, and then $3 cocktails and craft beers. Ooh. In the past, we felt that our messaging has been kind of mixed. It's been 50% off of beers and fountain sodas, but like no one knew what our prices were around the board. So we did this to kind of clarify that, hey, you can get a $2 beer at a Fireflies game because yeah. you, know, you could go downtown to a usc game five miles away and they're charging 13 dollars for a beer so i'm sure fans were thinking man is their drink special seven dollar beers that's not fantastic but we really do have some of the best drink specials in town and the other thing i'm super excited about is safe federal one of the local banks has agreed to partner with us to create a bobblehead series this year this is the first time in team history we've had a bobblehead series and we're gonna have four different bobblehead dates as a part of that and i don't know about you but I know fans everywhere get hyper excited about bobbleheads, and I always like having them as collector's items and stuff. You know, like, I can't tell you how many guys I've gotten to broadcast games for that I now have a bobblehead for, whether they've made it to the pros or not. I just think that's such a cool part of being in minor league baseball. Absolutely. Um, So I work in insurance now, um, still, you know, in the sales world, and um, I have a lot of my bobbleheads at you know, on a a shelf at work. And a lot of my customers will will bring it up like, oh, somebody likes bobbleheads. And I go in and explain how I got them. And, you know, and um, so, and I was telling you before we uh, started recording that um, my wife and I, we got an offer accepted on a house. And um, one of the stipulations that, you know, when my wife and I got together was that I need to always have a man cave. And, um, so I, I am excited. One of the things about this new house is that it has the room that's going to be my man cave is, has a bunch of built in bookshelves for my, my bobblehead collection and everything else that I've done in minor league baseball and my, you know, my sports world. So I am excited about that. That's fantastic. It's like at the end of the first Batman movie when Alfred and, and Bruce are sitting down, they're like, we want to rebuild Wayne Manor brick by brick. And Alfred says, what about an addition to the Southeast Corridor? You're getting that addition to the man cave with the new house. I like it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it's the World Baseball Classic, uh, and I've been watching a little bit of it. Um, when I, One thing I found out in, in fatherhood um, in, during the five weeks that I've you know, been doing it is that you get to watch a lot of sporting events that you wouldn't normally watch because of the timing. Um, so my daughter and I, we've been watching the world baseball classic, whether it's late at night or early in the morning. I I think we were watching, what was it? Panama versus Venezuela or something like that. And it was seven o'clock in the morning here. Um, so, so yeah. Um, the USA, unfortunately, did not do well. But um, bes- was a tough one last night. Yeah, sure was. Besides the U.S., who are you rooting for in the World Baseball Classic? All right, so I'm going to cheat. I do have multiple answers. Okay. First, Puerto Rico, because my favorite baseball player of all time is Francisco Lindor. I'm wearing an old-school now Cleveland Indians sweatshirt. Okay. Uh, Guardians are now. But uh, I grew up in Cleveland. So diehard Cleveland baseball fan. When I started really getting into the idea of becoming a professional in sports was my senior year of high school. 
Uh, that was the year Francisco Lindor was drafted in the first round. Wow. So I made it my goal to go to every single affiliate of the Indians at the time when Lindor went through. So that was my first real journey into minor league baseball because I had been to captain's games. I grew up sure. five minutes away from uh, their ballpark, but I had never been to a Mahoning Valley Scrappers game. At the time, I had never been to a Akron Rubber Ducks game. I had never gone to a Columbus Clippers game. And then I never did go to a Lynchburg game until I was in the same league as Lynchburg. Okay. Uh, just because mom and dad didn't want an 18-year-old driving three states away to go to a baseball game and then try and drive back. Sure. But, um, I, I got to enjoy it from afar. And then obviously he made his debut a little bit later while I was in college. But um, So I've got a soft spot for Francisco Lindor, even though he left the Guardians I always want to wish him success, uh, right. whether it's with the Mets or with Puerto Rico. And the other answer, this one, a little bit more Fireflies orientated. My favorite Fireflies alumni is Andre Menes. So I'm rooting for Venezuela. I also love the entire cast and crew Venezuela's got. Like, no one's picking them as a favorite, right? Everyone's saying it's going to be Japan, it's going to be the Dominican Republic, or it's going to be Team USA. But Venezuela is very sneaky and very good. I think yeah. the Dominican Republic got a little bit of an eye-opener there when they played for them sure. the first game. Uh, so I'm really excited to see what Venezuela does as well. Yeah, yeah, and then um, I always root for for Team Italy because I, I'm part Italian, um, and then uh, Team Israel is just so much fun. I mean, and then there there's some former um, there's some former guys on on that team that uh, were either in Beloit or in Delmarva that I worked with. So um, uh, yeah, it's. I just I just like it and and I put the question out there. I said why why is it not like the World Cup? Like it it's like you know sometimes it's every three years, sometimes it's every four, sometimes it's every six. And I guess it was supposed to finally be every four, and then COVID got in the way and and that kind yeah. of stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, as time moves on as well. So um, let's get let's get to the book, man. Uh, what made you want to write it? Tell it. Tell us a little bit about it. All right. So I moved to Columbia February second, twenty twenty. Okay. Um, so Ohio yeah. kid had spent some time in West Virginia. Had spent some time in Maryland. Um, I applied to a couple of jobs at that winter meetings. I got the Columbia one very close to my birthday, around January 15th. I think it might have been the day of my birthday. I got the email officially saying, hey, you've got the job. Now you have two weeks. Move to South Carolina. Okay. Uh, And, you know, I moved to South Carolina. Everything's fantastic. And then the world ends (laughs) within a month Mm -hmm. uh, of me moving down here. So I I didn't know a ton of people. Uh, The first thing I did was uh, I'm a really big outdoor person. I go camping a bunch. I like hiking i'll go on like 10 mile hikes on weekends and stuff like that or now on mondays now that minor league baseball has the monday off days during the season um so the first thing i did was i like looked at all these different parks and i went to every single park within an hour and a half of columbia because at first we thought this pandemic thing was gonna last like a month we're like okay there's a three-week gestation period stay outdoors, wear a mask, stay at home, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we found out that was going to last a little bit longer after March or April. And so I'm sitting in my apartment and I'm going, what can I do to keep busy? Because at, at this stage of the game, I'm used to working 100-hour weeks. Yeah. You, you know how it goes. Oh, yeah. So I was looking for something to do. And um, when, when I first started my journey into sports, I wanted to be a sports writer. I, I moved into sports broadcasting. So a little bit different than what a lot of people do. Um, but... So as I got exposure and stuff, I I moved into it, but 
I always thought it would be cool to write a book. Uh, so sometime it was like a, a late night, I'm on a zoom call actually with a bunch of friends and we're playing uh, a drinking game or whatever. And a bunch of friends were asking questions about like my minor league career traveling and all that stuff. And I kind of like went back to every time you're on the road and you randomly sit down at a bar stool next to someone because the only thing open after a game ends is a bar yep. and you're eating bar food at midnight. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's always like a handful of questions that every single person asks you while you're sitting on that bar stool. And yeah. I thought what better idea than to profile a dozen as a rough number broadcasters and ask them those same five or six questions and go into depth about them that everyone asks every minor league broadcaster ever when they're on the road in some town that they're not familiar with. Sure. Um, so I, I thought of a couple of names right away, and I'm sure you're familiar with the guys like Jesse Goldberg Strassler. I was like, oh, he's he would be a fantastic person to have this conversation with, with the baseball thesaurus and how much he helps people out. Mm-hmm. Um, there are obviously people like uh, one of my mentors, Anna Marco, yeah. who I've known since I, I started in West Virginia. And before that, when I was in college, he started giving me ideas of what I needed to do to put myself in a position to become a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there were some people I didn't know at all that I reached out to. So like Joe Block, Rob Ford, who I know are like fantastic guys. I knew Joe from, I I was with the West Virginia power when they were a Pittsburgh pirates affiliate. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I knew of Joe. And then Rob Ford was the first ever speaker at winter meetings for the job fairs that I went to. So I went, Oh, Rob, like he, he loves helping out people. I follow him on Twitter. We interacted occasionally. So I figured I could talk to Rob and obviously no slight to any of the people I brought or I talked to who are broadcasters, but I, I talked to a dozen broadcasters, all of whom, had amazing stories about some of the crazy promotions they've heard, great stories of riding on the bus or, you know, when the bus breaks down. (laughs) Yeah. We heard a couple of hotel stories that were crazy, favorite players, top teams they've seen, uh, wonky promotions ranging from, like, Redneck Night to Tanya Harding Mini Back Night in the 90s. So, like, just some crazy, (laughs) crazy, zany things that have happened. And then, of course, all the wild walk-offs and grand slams and, and crazy moments that you could dream of as a baseball broadcaster. There are over 120 seasons covered between all the different broadcasters. So we've got nuts things like Josh Wetzel. Uh, he got to broadcast in his first season. Uh, he got to broadcast Vlad Guerrero Sr. going through Class A ball. Wow. And then a couple of years ago, he got to broadcast Vlad Guerrero Jr. in AAA. Yeah. So, uh, again, you get to see the full range of just what some different people have been able to experience. Yeah, that is wild. Uh, it's kind of along the same lines of why I started this podcast. Like when you know you you meet people in Beloit, Wisconsin, for instance, at bars usually because it's Wisconsin and you work in minor league baseball, and people say, "Oh, you know, you're not you're not from around these parts." Like you know, where are you from? And you get into why you're there and they say, Oh, well, what do you do in the off season? And then it kind of just goes from there. And so like, yeah, I wanted to highlight people that worked in minor league baseball because it, number one, they're awesome people. Uh, they work hard. And, um, so some of their stories are just so funny. And, um, yeah, so I think we're, we're on the same page there and you, you really dropped some names there. Um, so, Adam Marco, former guest of this podcast, Jesse Goldberg Strassler, 
the voice so nice they named him thrice. Um, he was he's also been a guest on this podcast, and I've actually met Joe Block before because he was a guest speaker at a hot stove banquet in Beloit, Wisconsin, um, one that I was working at there. Um, so so yeah, you got you really got some legends in the game in your book. So um, excited to to get a look at it. Is there an audio book? That's um, right now there is not an audio okay. book. So my, my deal covers an ebook and then a physical uh, I believe it's a soft cover book right now. Okay. But um, what I've talked about with the publisher McFarland is that depending on how sales go and how the first year goes, we could push into um, play an audiobook. The problem with that is just how difficult production becomes sure. with it. So I actually did this through Zoom calls. N- not one person was really in the room with me at any point. Okay. Um, I have a couple people that I did phone calls with instead of Zoom calls as we progress through things. But So it's a, a series of like hour and a half long Zoom calls. And then I would just look up uh, a bunch of different statistics or I would look up different things. So one of the questions I asked everyone is, what's your favorite restaurant you've been to in small town America because of it? Uh, And a lot of people didn't know what the restaurant names were because it was like 10 years in the past. So one example is Alex Cohen. He said, we drove from Mm -hmm. Huntsville, Alabama to Jackson, Mississippi, and we stopped like 45 minutes outside of Jackson, Mississippi. There was this barbecue place. It had a tin roof and it's in the middle of nowhere. It's just this parking lot and just this tin barbecue place it's fantastic he's like i vaguely remember there was like a sign on the side of the highway so i i spent some time and i kind of looked through some things and i i went on yelp yelp was where i found it uh i I looked at google maps and i couldn't find anything that i loved and then i go on yelp to read reviews of like best barbecue place i've ever eaten at south of jackson mississippi but in the suburbs yeah and uh there were like three so i go on google maps and i'm looking at their parking lots looking for this tin shack in the middle of nowhere and there's this one and i can't remember the name but it's in his chapter so you'll have to forgive me i wrote the chapter like a year ago now okay um so uh i remember the name and i just took a screenshot of it and i texted to alex and i said please tell me this is the one. And he said, oh my God, John, how did you find that? (laughs) This is nuts. Uh, So I looked up their menu and went through all these things and we eventually figured out what he ate in like 2012 or something at this random shack, for lack of a better term, south of Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, So we got this really cool experience and hopefully we're, we're helping someone who lives in Mississippi find a really awesome barbecue place they've never heard of and help out a mom and pop shop in the process. Absolutely. That surprises me that Alex didn't remember the name of the restaurant because if you follow him on social media, he is definitely a foodie. And, oh, and it just it just really surprises me. But yeah, he's an amazing broadcaster. Worked with him mainly through email honestly in the midwest league but i i think we may have met once at least um you would have been in bowling green yes yes and and maybe they didn't may i think maybe we went there but they didn't come to us and so therefore i may i don't think i met him but we we exchanged lots of emails and and i listened to him call the games because i didn't travel with the team in beloit i was not the broadcaster we didn't have uh a broadcaster for all of the games but when the team was on the road you know 
I was the social media person and media relations person, so I would listen to the games like while I took a walk or played video games or something, and then I would tweet, you know, what happened during while I was listening to the game. So I listened to lots of a, a few, at least a few Alex Cohen calls for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, who who's the most interesting broadcaster that you got to talk to while writing the book? You really dropped some some big names um, in the minor league game. So I, I know this is like asking who your favorite child is, but who's the most interesting broadcaster and and their most interesting story, I guess? I, I don't know that I can pick most interesting broadcaster, but I can pick like the portions of the chapter that I found most interesting for people. Okay. So like most interesting bus ride was Terry Byron while he was in the Pioneer League. He had a bus hit a steer. So like, oh they hit gosh. a cow on the road. Um, wow. And they had to stop and pull over and do all these things. So like that was certainly the most interesting bus stop because I could imagine a bus hitting a deer and they'd probably demolish it. But when you hit like a, a ton beast of a cow, right. what, what happens? And fortunately, all they had to do was stop and report it to the county sheriff in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, because that's property. That's very valuable property of some of that sure. cow. They had to report the damage, but the cow was actually okay. It was able to walk off, uh, and then the bus was good enough to drive. It was dinged. Okay. There was some cosmetic damage, but no one got hurt, and they were able to continue their journey to Ogden, uh, Utah, or, okay. or whatever state Ogden is in. Yeah. Um, I, I already name-dropped the Joe Block promotion. That was my favorite promotion, which was Tanya Harding Mini Bat Night, of course. That's just, so crazy. Just a year or two after the whole bat incident with Tanya Harding. So that was actually still fresh. That would have been in Charleston, South Carolina with the river dogs. And it would have been in they the late nineties. Yeah. Um, but that was before the internet was huge. So what they did was they told her they wanted to have a Tanya Harding autograph night. And they told the fans they were having a mini yeah. bat night. Uh, one th- the first thousand fans get a mini bat giveaway. And so these fans get no this mini way. bat and they walk in and Tanya Harding sing, they're signing autographs. And I didn't believe it fully until I went on eBay and I found Charleston River Dogs branded signed Tanya Harding mini bats going for like 85 bucks on eBay. No uh, way. And, and there were probably like six or seven of them on eBay. Now, what Joe said was she was a good sport for a little bit, but it was within a half hour that she got up and she said, I can't do this anymore. So I don't know how many ever got signed, but that's a real thing. And that's a real collector's edition out there. Wow. That is absolutely incredible. Oh my gosh. Oh man. <laughs> I, I just can't believe it. That's, oh man. So where, where can you find, where can people find the book? Yeah, absolutely. So if you look up play by play from the minors, or if you look at my name, John Kosas Jr. And then book, you can find it on McFarland's Books website, or you can find it on Amazon right now. Okay. Um, and we're working out some deals with some other sources. Um, can't name drop any stores or anything until a contract is signed, but it will be in stores on shelves eventually, and it'll, it should be in most local libraries, at least in the cities that it covers. So, okay. You know, just knowing that I'm in the book, right, it'll be in Cleveland, it will be in Columbia, South Carolina's libraries, it should be in in west virginia it should be in hagerstown and then you can piece together with the other 12 broadcasters as well where it should be so it should be covered in a lot of local libraries as well okay wow that's amazing um so 
I'm always interested to hear, you know, the we're hearing a lot about the pitch clock these days, um, especially since spring training is going on. And this is the first time that a lot of people have seen the pitch clock if they don't fire, if they don't follow minor league baseball. So as a broadcaster, what are your thoughts on the pitch clock? I know that it, it kind of changes how you go about calling a game. There's not as many stories that, you know, there's, you know, so yeah, just give me your thoughts on the pitch clock, I guess, as a broadcaster. So I guess we'll get it out of the way early. It, it does subtract from the stories. It makes it a little bit more difficult because you got to figure out how to say things in five or six seconds. Sure. With that being said, I 100% love the pitch clock. Okay. In 2021, the Fireflies had the longest game time of any minor league baseball team. It was like three hours and 40-something minutes was our average game time in 2021. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. We had walk-off hits that I called with like 200 people left because it was a Wednesday night and the kids had school the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not great for anyone, right? Same thing as having World Series games at midnight, right? That's not great for the game, growing future right. fans, etc. Um, after we switched to the pitch clock, our average game time went to like two and a half hours. And there were games that were close in the ninth and 10th innings where everyone's still there, yeah. right? Because they're still working on their third beer. They're still working on their second hot dog. The kids just got dipping dots. We got another 45 minutes before we have to go home, mm-hmm. right? Um, so from, if nothing else, but the casual fan is able to enjoy the game better and stay for all nine innings, I am 100% on board for the pitch clock. I also think a big detraction from the pitch clock that a lot of people have is they say, oh my God, you're adding a clock, you're taking away things. The only thing we're taking away is watching a dude do this with a batting glove right. or watching someone take an extra two laps around the pitcher's mount. You know, all those little adjustments and fidgets were never necessary to the game, right? You're not you're not missing the cat and mouse. People still step off the mount and throw over. People still take their time to get into the box. It's just not egregious like watching Derek Jeter. Right, right. And and I agree with you. Um, you know, being a former minor league baseball employee, I I fully support it. I wish it would have been in place. Um, you know, rather than, you know, yeah, like you said, the three and a half, four hour games, you know, like yeah, I, I would always bet on a game being at least three hours and that's what you plan for and then it goes four and then, you know, that all that kind of stuff and um yeah, it would have been a, it would have been a lot nicer, and maybe would have gotten some more sleep back in the day when I was in minor league baseball. But um, yeah, I, I like it as a fan too, um, for sure. So uh, let's see here. Um, oh, w- as a broadcaster, what's been your most memorable call so far? I've had, I've been fortunate to have a couple of really cool ones, but I think my favorite of all time. Uh, Daryl Collins had a walk-off grand slam on June 26, 2021. So it was like our first big game because that was our Independence Day game. Mm-hmm. It's so far forward because during 2021, you didn't have the July 3rd and 4th, one team's home, one team's on the road. Okay. Uh, yep. June 26 was the Saturday before the 4th of July for us. It's our Independence Day game. We've got 4,000, 5,000 people in the stands for the first time in since 2019 right Mm -hmm. and we're playing myrtle beach a really good team the cubs always have a good eight ball team yeah uh and i mean it just they they exploded we're losing two to nothing until like the eighth inning we tie up the game late it's the 10th inning two to two nobody out 
something weird happens where there are people on second and third and then they intentionally walk someone and this left fielder out of the Netherlands named for Daryl Strawberry (laughs) is is a corner outfielder for the Royals and he's a big hit tool guy his entire career he hits about 300 350 okay depending on where he is he started off his career with a 27 game on base streak in the Arizona Complex League so he's, he's not known for home runs he had three home runs up to that point and hits his fourth home run is the first walk-off home run in Columbia Fireflies franchise history. And why not make it a grand slam yeah. the on the first big game since the pandemic? Uh, right. And so many people stuck around for that, even though it was a longer game and it's extra innings and stuff. So there are fan videos. So obviously I enjoy my call video just because, you know, you're a broadcaster, you like seeing your call videos circulate. Mm-hmm. But there are so many videos of just packed sections of people where fans are on their cell phone and you just hear everyone freak out. Uh, And to me, that was the first big, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for a while, there were some, some thankless months in April and May where you couldn't, or I guess the season didn't start until May. So in May and June, where like you couldn't talk to any of the players on the field or anything. So you didn't know any great stories from batting practice. You couldn't, you couldn't really do anything, right? It was right. a lot of, I'm up here in my booth in my castle high up top. I had to send stat packs and stuff through the elevator to our manager each day because I wasn't allowed on that level, even okay. though I was vaccinated, wearing a mask, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so that was the first one where it's like, okay, we're, we're getting back to normalcy. And it was sometime in the middle of July where we were allowed to go back to the clubhouse level and where we were allowed to, as long as you're wearing a mask, go down to batting practice and things like that. But that didn't start until darn near halfway through July right. uh, of 2021. So that was the first thing where it was like, oh my God, it's baseball season again. It just took two months after the pandemic to get there. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's That does sound amazing, man. Welcome back. Welcome back. So, when I got to Delmarva and people started talking about Hagerstown and, you know, going going to the stadium in the town and that kind of stuff, and um, I would say, oh, well, that kind of reminds me of Beloit. And then, you know, people that worked in the Midwest League and in the South Atlantic League, they'd be like, well, Hagerstown is the Beloit of the South Atlantic League. And so I heard all types of comparisons and similarities between, you know, working in Hagerstown and Beloit. And um, I know you spent some time in Hagerstown. Uh, rest in peace, uh, the Hagerstown Sons. Um, did you did you ever hear any comparisons to, to Hagerstown and Beloit ever? Did I ever? I feel like it used to be... And depending on which one you worked in, but it was Beloit was Hagerstown West Campus or Hagerstown was Beloit East Campus was basically the way that people talked about him. Yeah, it was never a particularly savory comparison, right? It was always, oh boy, we're going to this place that's like Beloit or oh boy, we're going to this place that's like Hagerstown. And unfortunately, that's just the way that both markets worked out. But there's a happy ending, right? Beloit got the new stadium. It's a great place to go now. 
and Hagerstown is about to get a new stadium for an indie ball team. Okay. So, you know, it all it all works out at the end of the day. It just took both cities probably a little bit too long to establish new stadium. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, when I started with the Shorebirds, the general manager, you know, asked me. He said, "He said, where are they at with the with the new stadium?" And I said, "I don't know. There was always, you know, something going on. There's ongoing talks." And he said, "He said, um, I think at that time it was 15 years prior." He said, "He said, I interviewed." He he said that he interviewed for the general manager position in Beloit, and they're talking about a new stadium then, and it just never came to fruition. Um, so, so yeah, I don't, what, it, it, Beloit was, I learned a lot about myself as, as an employee, as a person, um, because I lived there from when I was like 23 to 27. And those are really the times that you learn a lot about yourself as a person. And, um, you know, I was living 12 hours away from my family. I had like an aunt and uncle and a cousin that lived like a half an hour to an hour away. Um, but other than that, I was pretty much on my own. So, um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in Beloit. I made do with, uh, you know, the best I could. Do you have any, you know, cool stories or, you know, maybe nightmares from working in Hagerstown? Um, so it was situated between two rivers, the ballpark, mm-hmm. um, and rivers is generous. It's not like the Ohio river or the Allegheny or the Mississippi They're They're more just runoffs. So streams, but what that meant was because the stadium was so old and it was, it was built on solid limestone. So there was a hill. If you were standing on the warning track in left field, your feet were level with the hips of whoever was standing at shortstop. So there's a grade, but okay. they couldn't, unless you got dynamite in there, you couldn't level it out. Right. Uh, so it was lower than everything else around it, which meant whenever it rained, if it rained like a half inch, there were two inches of water on the field from the runoff from those two streams. Uh-huh. And by the time I got there, it was bad enough where you had to, every time it rained, it didn't matter if it was a light drizzle or a torrential downpour. You had to put sandbags against all the doors in the clubhouse dash front office and you had to just hope to God that it didn't make it through the sandbags or there was mud everywhere that you had to clean up. So I just remember, like, I know in baseball that whenever there's rain, there's a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. In Hagerstown, that connotation was so much worse because normally it meant you were squeegeeing out the front office and trying to get fans (sighs) to dry out the clubhouse before the team got back in there the next day because the entire front office had also flooded. Wow. Yeah, I. Yeah, we had to. No, no, we had to share those staff in Beloit had to share a bathroom with the coaches, Um, and one time we we literally had to have a bucket brigade to uh, to uh, empty out one of the dugouts um, because it got flooded, and. And then you know, drilling the billboards like the the signs in the outfield. Like you didn't even need a drill really because you could literally just poke the screw through the <laughs> through the fence with your finger. Um, so those are just some fun stories about about working Beloit at a historic Bowman Field 
Or I guess so, and I love that both of them used historic because what historic means for a stadium is it's just really old and there's nothing nice to say about it. Um, <laughs> so my my last game in Hagerstown, which I guess is the last game ever played at Historic Municipal Stadium, um, there was a tornado that touched down like 15 miles away from the ballpark, and it was hailing as the last pitches were thrown. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with the ballpark, but most of it's wooden or was past tense uh, wooden bleachers on the first base side and the third base side okay but kind of cupping around the batter's circle there was a metal grandstand and okay. on top of that metal grandstand there was basically a double wide trailer um and it's on top of a piece of sheet metal that's your press box and the yeah. only way to get up there was a spiral staircase on the back. And Ben's business famous for the spiral staircase because when he went to Hagerstown, which he did when I was there, he talked about how terrifying the spiral staircase was. Um, and when it rained, it was hyper slick and slippery. But I remember the press box just shaking that day and me going, well, if this is if this is it, this is it, right? Um, at least from 40 feet in the air, if the press box had flown off, it, it wouldn't have been too painful. But, yeah, um, yeah, that was that was terrifying. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. Shoo. Um, so you work with uh Casey Vecchio, who's a guest of the show, um, friend of the show. Um, I actually went to college with Casey at Slippery Rock University. Um, we didn't know each other super well, but we had a lot of classes together. Um, and then you know obviously kept in in touch with her you know because we both ended up in minor league baseball which is cool uh do you have any stories from from working with casey i mean i'm sure we have plenty of random tarp stories or um we we work hand in hand a lot so for example like if i sell something on the corporate side who's the person who designs the graphic whether it's online or um, on, on the outfield wall or whatever it might be, it's always Casey. So, mm-hmm. so we work together a ton. We're both in marketing, so we, we're collaborating on lots of ideas. But sure. nothing comes directly to mind. Okay. She's a fantastic worker. She's a great person to have around the office. Um, and lately she's been in the, the Wishing Women in Sports uh, Foundation, which is a fantastic thing to be a part of. Kristen oh, yeah. that, um started off in West Virginia where I started off just a year after I was there. So it's that's one of those things, right? And I feel like it's the six degrees of separation. Everyone knows everyone in minor league baseball. So it's, For it's sure. super cool to see them getting behind that great cause. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so out of all of your baseball travels, what is the ultimate, like best concessions item you've had? I don't know, man. Uh, I, I was thinking about this cause I've, I've listened to your podcast before and I knew this was going to come up. Yeah. And this is going to sound like such a lame answer, but uh, you know the fair lemonade that you get where there's so much sugar in it that's almost a solid, like it's, it's a granular <laughs> drink? Yeah. Hickory sells it. They've got it in those yellow cups, too. Okay. So there's not a ton of fantastic things from a concession standpoint at LP Fran Stadium. The coolest thing about that stadium is that it's got a carousel yep. um, over down the third baseline, if I remember correctly. And, you know, like, obviously, um, the Rangers have put out some really good teams there. But mm-hmm. I, I remember looking forward 
to going to LP Friends Stadium because directly behind the press box, they sold that lemonade and it takes you back in a time machine. Yeah. And you feel like you're seven years old again going to the fair, whether it's with your parents or with your friends for that first time where you're allowed out alone. Okay. Um, and I, just, I love that lemonade for some reason. All right. All right. I dig it. Um, so, you know, being the social media person, even now, I'm I'm the social media person for our insurance agency and, um, you know, worked for a few different minor league baseball teams. And um, there's always that that, you know, weird account or person that that posts super weird comments and messages. So I got to ask, what's the weirdest comment or message you've seen while uh, running a team's social media accounts? Fortunately, in Colombia, all I do is tweet the game stuff or yep. put on Facebook and stuff the post game stuff. So I, I don't stick around in the DMs too much. Okay. Glo- I have heard that the DMs get wild here in Colombia, yeah. um, but but that's that's someone else's problem, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, in Hagerstown in West Virginia, obviously, I, I saw it all, um, and I remember Redneck Night getting dicey every year in West Virginia. Sure. Where we would put out Redneck Night, and there are people who were like really for Redneck Night to the point where it would get uncomfortable, and there are people who are hyper against Redneck Night and had a lot of things to say about people not being from West Virginia hosting an event making fun of the people from West Virginia. Okay. So it was it was both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, but both sides got rather uncomfortable at a certain point. Oh yeah, that yeah, I I would tend to believe that. Wow. <laughs> um, so, in again, in your baseball travels, what's been the best promotion that you've seen? Um, I'll I'll do a self pat on the back for the West Virginia Power. Um, we had a homeless man named Joshua Hanshaw steal a bunch of stuff out of our clubhouse one night. Okay, and his mugshot was taken with the hitting coach's jersey that night. <laughs> And Yardbreaker and Deadspin picked it up and it went viral. This was a Saturday night. The team was on the road. And our next home game was going to be a Monday. And we had family buck nights on Monday. And in West Virginia, the attendance wasn't anything fantastic. It would be like 300 people on a Monday night. Okay. Uh, So we ran a promotion where if you brought in your mugshot, a friend's mugshot or a celebrity's mugshot, you could celebrate <laughs> mugshot Monday with us and we would give you a free ticket. And there were over 70 people that brought mugshots uh, to come to this game. And then once they came in, we only played songs like Jailhouse Rock or 18 in Life to Go by Skid Row or That's like everything funny. was about jail. Um, we had games like which celebrity went to jail. It would be like Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg and like, yep people might guess it right they might guess it wrong type thing but you you went through that um we put prison bars over all the headshots of the visiting team uh, and then our guys were all like the the county sheriff so to speak or whatever okay um it was like everything was like jail themed for that we had clotheslines running along the concourse and uh the clotheslines had like again photos of mud shots of celebrities whether it was britney spears or or whoever (laughs) so we we leaned really hard into Mugshot Monday, and I thought it was fantastic for a Monday night where we were yeah. able to increase the average attendance on Monday by 25% because we did something creative. 
Right, and it, and it didn't cost you hardly anything, probably. No, it just so. cost us the clothesline, and it cost us the, the photos to print out, which, honestly, the amount of ticket stock you print out on any night probably exceeds what the printer cost was for that. Right, absolutely. Wow, that that is a good idea. Good for you guys. Man, how many people... It's one of those things where it wouldn't work out if you planned it forever ahead. It was right. just, it was organic, and it, it happened at the time it did. Absolutely. Yeah, that's incredible. How many people brought their own mugshot? That's what I wanted. It was like ten or twelve. It okay. Was, uh, vast majority was like celebrity mugshots, but there yeah. there were people that did bring their own. Okay. All right. Man, that that is a funny promotion. That's awesome. I guess what was funny was all the all the like it's your own mugshots where people who like got caught with an underage or like did like a speeding over twenty five miles per hour and had to be detained or something. Yeah. Or like you know. Uh, drunken disorderly at this public event or something so none of them were like Super, people who like yeah. did this crazy terrible like there was no murderer that was okay. going to the ballpark it was all minors where they maximum spent a, a night in jail time. okay okay all right that's pretty cool everyone though. was sure to tell us the story behind their mugshot i remember our box office person was the his name's zach he was the person to talk to after that game we all grabbed beers and we were all talking about all the wild things from that night was it zach Kurz? Zach Curtin. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a guest on this show, too. There we go. Yeah, he ended up doing social media and all those things with uh, the Dirty Birds. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, okay. Man, that is a cool promotion, though. Uh, What's the best story that you you can share from traveling with a team? I know there's a bunch that you can't share. Yeah, so in Hagerstown... We were going from Hagerstown to Lexington, Kentucky. And I had a, a buddy that lived in Lexington, Kentucky. So even though um, when I traveled from Hagerstown, it was always like on me to travel. I was like, hey, if you can, if I can ride the bus, I'll, I'll go to Lexington. And I'll cover the you know five-game series or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so I got to go there, stayed with a buddy. But uh, we got stopped halfway in between in Burnville, West Virginia. And there was okay. nothing in Burnville, West Virginia. And I, I know West Virginia pretty well because I lived there for two years. Sure. So like, it's about 45 minutes to an hour east of Charleston. We were okay. about to stop in Charleston um, to eat lunch. So this, this happens at like 11 a.m. Um, it's an off day. So we got that rare day where you're on the bus on an entire off day. So you're not driving at midnight. Right. Um, we get stopped at 11. We're told, okay, this bus is going to come to pick us up because this one can't be repaired. It'll be here at like 4 or 5 p.m. So the only thing at this exit is a gas station. I think it was a sit-go or a get-go gas station. And on the side of this gas station was a gun shop called Guns, 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 Ammo, Ammo, Ammo. <laughs> and nothing else. Like okay. literally nothing else. Um, there was no Uber in the area cause we were thinking of Ubering to get like Moe's cause there was a Moe's that was 14 miles away. Okay. Right. Um, but that was like the closest food was this Moe's taco place that, that was 14 miles away. Um, mm. so we're, we're all stopped. And then around three o'clock we find out that the bus that came to get us broke down. <laughs> So now they've got to find a third bus and they don't know when it's going to come or how to get another driver at this point because now two drivers from this one bus company are stuck on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. Right. So they're, they're like, yeah, we'll let you know. And meanwhile, no one's eaten since like 8 a.m. and it's dinner time. Yeah. So a group of the players, and then I decided to tag along on this, 
uh, decided we're going to walk towards this area where there are like six or seven residential streets and we're just going to see what there is. Like worst case scenario, maybe someone's out like cutting their grass or something and we could talk to them and ask if they could drive us to a grocery store. We'll pay them. Yeah. We all have per diem. We all have cash. Right. You know, like, and then maybe we can pay them for like a hundred hot dogs and they can grill for us. Yeah. It's kind of what we're thinking at this point because that first bus was going to take four hours to get to us. So we're imagining the earliest we're leaving is 10 PM. And we've been stuck on the side of the road since like 11 and on the bus since eight or nine in the morning. Um, so we get to town and there's this, this house that has like a shed in their front yard and the shed has four or five picnic tables next to it. And it's got like smoke coming out of it. And we're like, wait a second. And it's not on Google Maps or anything, so it's not an official business. This is like someone's side hustle in their front lawn, like neighborhood recognized. Police just turned their, their yeah. Head. Um, but this this guy was running a food stand out of a shed in his okay. front yard. So we start calling the other guys that stayed on the bus or were trying to eat chips from a gas station. Yeah. We're like, yo, there's real food. We don't know how long we're gonna be here, and, and we literally spent. We, we were there until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night when we heard a bus was an hour away and we all walked back to the bus that was like probably a half mile to a mile away from where we were. Yeah. And then we all waited on the side of the road until that bus got there. We didn't get to Lexington, Kentucky until like four in the morning. And I remember when we got to Lexington, my big thing was, all right, at this point, do I Uber to my friend's place? No, it's too late. I got to do something at this hotel. So I told the front desk lady my story and I was like, listen, like I will be out of here before our first call. Like I'll be out of here at 8 a.m. I just don't want to wake up my friend at five in the morning. Right. Uh, and she was like, yeah, sure. Stay like at this point, if someone is coming to this, like you're not going to steal a room from someone like everyone who yeah. needs to be is here. Yeah. Uh, so fortunately, the, the lady was an angel and, and let me stay um there so i didn't wake up my friends super early in the morning but that was a really fun time i got to learn a lot about the different hagerstown suns players that were there like we had jackson clough who was um he was a byu student so he had to do a mission trip yeah we got to learn about him or like armand upshaw told us about like growing up in like uh, a sketchy neighborhood in atlanta and like we heard some of the dominican guys kind of talked through a translator and stuff and they were talking about growing up in the Dominican and it was just this this wild melting pot of experiences because we had 10 hours to kill so we told right. stories yeah of course of course what kind of food was it in the shed everything oh I okay. got a calzone really <laughs> yes oh I got a calzone but there were guys that got chicken fingers there were guys that got hot dogs there were guys that got burgers like wow. it was basically if this guy could make it from ingredients he got it and because there were 30 of us, he went to the store twice. Wow. Like, he was just like, hey, I'll be back in 20 minutes. Don't don't burn the place down, was what he said the first time to us. And then the Dang. second time, he's like, hey, you guys are good eaters. Let me go back and grab some more stuff. Yeah. Now, yeah, now that's a story. Really- that's a story. Um, so this is the Pulling Tart Podcast. I know you've, you've listened to a few episodes. Do you have any crazy tarp stories? Absolutely. In Hagerstown, there yeah, are only I'm seven sure. people pulling the tarp, so we have yeah. plenty of them. Seven? Uh, in Beloit, we had four sometimes. <laughs> right, yeah. My favorite one was uh, Mac Jenkins, legendary pitching coach of the Cincinnati Reds, coordinator for the Reds for a while, too. 
Um, after he had gotten let go from his Reds job, his first job back in baseball was the pitching coach of the Hagerstown Suns. Okay. Uh, that was the year I was there. So Mac was probably the best coach that I've ever worked with. Super nice guy, understood how it worked in minor league baseball, always willing to help out. Um, and so when he saw all of us struggling with the tarp, even though this guy is like my parents' age, he would he would help pull the tarp. And so one time it's me and Mac Jenkins on one end, and you know how it works when you don't have a lot of people. Like we've got this quarter of the tarp to ourselves, and there are twenty mile an hour winds that day, uh-huh. and uh, so both of us get lifted up off the ground, and like our GMs like just let go, it's not worth it. So we both let go and get folded underneath the tarp. So uh-huh. we have to army crawl out from underneath the tarp, and then I, I help pull the tarp off of Mac to like get him out from under there because he was a bit more under there than I was. But that was the day that I, along with one of the longest tenured people in baseball that I've ever worked with, got stuck underneath the tarp. Wow. That man. Yeah, it's never fun. Like when I when I see like them pull a tarp like in a major league game on TV and they have like thirty five people and I'm just like Oh my gosh, I can't. 35 people who are all members of their grounds crew. Yeah. I, yeah. It, like, I just, like, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've sprinted from the press box down to the field to help put on a tarp during the game with, you know, literally four people. So yeah. it's, uh, it's not ideal, but, um, we're, we're stronger for it, I think, John. Absolutely. It builds character. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, we did have one listener question, and I know you already responded um, to him, and it was from Barrett Gruber, and he asked, when are we going to see a John Kosas Jr. bobblehead at the Columbia Fireflies game? So Barrett is a season ticket holder with the Columbia Fireflies, and one of my favorite ones, he actually has his own podcast, the All About Nothing podcast. If you haven't listened to it, highly recommend it. There's a plug for Barrett for asking the question. Okay. Um, but um, Barrett, Barrett's awesome, and I, I think what I responded to was, I think I have to call at least a decade of games before I qualify to become a bobblehead member, right? Yeah. Um, this year, the people that were – we're using are like Gavin Cross, the number one prospect in, in uh, the Royal system right now, Mm -hmm. Carter Jensen, who was the MVP for us designated by the Royals last year, Ben Kuderna, who was the second round pick and and a really good pitcher for us last year. He he won pitcher of the year for us. And then um, the fourth one is Caden Wallace, who obviously had that incredible season, uh, not quite leading to the college world series, but, but pretty close for Arkansas last yeah. year, and he made a heck of an impact on our playoff run last year. So all players that were with us last year, but really big names. And yeah. I'm one of the believers that uh, it's it's never about the broadcaster, right? It's about what I'm broadcasting. So sure. I feel like i got to make it to the 1,000 Columbia Fireflies games mark before we even consider a bubble. Okay, that's, that's fair. That's fair. All right. And um, so where can the listeners find you online and on social media, John? Yeah, so Jcosis8 all around. It's J-K-O-C-S-I-S and then the number 8. That was my number as a kid because I liked Cal Ripken for some reason as a kid from uh, from Cleveland. But I uh, remember reading a book about him and liking it, but Cal Ripken's awesome and 8's cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. so you can find me Twitter. I'm super active. I'm not really on Instagram, but if you want to follow me and see the occasional 
hiking picture or camping picture, you're welcome to. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then the, the book is available on Amazon as well as McFarlandBooks.com. It's play-by-play from the miners. Uh, and then if you search my name and book, you'll find it there as well. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to get myself a copy for sure. Um, like I said, I've been into audiobooks lately. This one I'm going to have to actually sit down and read, but that's, that's okay. I'm, it's, it's going to be a good one. I know it. Um, I especially, it, Bobby. hopefully you'll yeah. enjoy a couple of stories and hopefully you'll hear a couple you don't already know. Yes. Yes. I, I already know that I'm going to know a decent amount of the people that are in the book and maybe some of the stories, but I, the ones that I don't know are going to be, you know, real heavy hitters they're going to be super funny and awesome so um can't can't wait to to get my copy there and um so i know you've listened to a couple episodes and um you know the the flavor of minor league baseball is the walk-up songs right that's that's what what adds the personality so what has been the best walk-up or warm-up song you've heard in your baseball career and whose was it Loud and Heavy by Cody Jenks for a pitcher. It was Cody Bolton, um, and he was just super good. Uh, 17 and a third scoreless innings to start his career as a high school draftee. Okay. Um, wicked, wicked off-speed stuff to pair with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Again, the kid was like 19. Uh, and then he was just a great A human being, so that was awesome. And then I feel like so many people have done it now, but I, I really like um, Thief by okay or, or thief in the night yeah uh, that, that's a super popular one i know jason kipnis did it in major league baseball and i can name like six players off the top of my head who have done it at some point in time for yeah. either west virginia hagerstown or columbia but it's I feel a like fire really song good. it's a fire song though it's yeah. uh because i think it was my second or third episode and i had joe brand on um, who's doing Blackhawk Chicago Blackhawks games now? Um, but he's also the uh, longtime broadcaster now for the King County Cougars, um, and uh, that that was his answer. So I I remember that, and um, yeah, it just came on in the car yesterday when I was driving. So uh, saxophone hits so hard. Oh, for sure, for sure. You don't you don't hear like a banger with a saxophone in it very much anymore. But that one for sure. All right, John. Well, thank you so much for for taking the time out of your evening, uh, especially with the season right around the corner. I really appreciate it. And um, go get the book, everybody. Um, And again, thank you so much, John. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bobby. It was great to be on. And hopefully we'll be able to start seeing more episodes. Of course, fatherhood is first step. But yes, uh, super awesome that you're back to doing it already. Thank you, man. Thank you. And best of luck this season. It's all insane You ain't never gonna be the same Living life through the night Thin line of lightning strike Sometimes the only light When the moon is tucked away You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast Distributed by Stove Leg Media Make sure you check out our page at StoveLeg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.